0: to a photographic life. In the past few weeks I've been hinting in various episodes that at some point I was going to address editorial photography in some detail and this is the episode that that's going to happen. To do that I've set myself a question. What was editorial photography? What is it now and does it have a future? And to answer that question, I'm going to go from a personal perspective, when I first started. So that takes us back to 1986, when I was working on Elle magazine in London. At that point, we would pay a photographer £750 a day as a fee. And in addition to that, we would pay for expenses, we would pay for the assistant, we'd also pay for film and processing. And as any analogue photographer will remember, that was the point at which you could bump up your fee a little bit. And nobody ever counted how many rolls of film you actually shot or got processed. Anyway, that's where we were. And obviously, to any photographer now, that will seem like a huge amount of money. In 1986, it really was a huge amount of money. However, already the accountants were starting to step in. The idea behind shooting for a magazine was that you'd get paid less than advertising rates, but you would get your work seen. When I say about the accountants moving in, we were asked on the magazine what the photographer did for the rest of the day If they didn't work all day, why were we paying them a day rate? And therefore, the half-day rate was introduced. And we were asked to pay photographers, or told, to pay £350 per shoot if it was a half-day shoot. Back in those times, the Association of Fashion and Editorial Photographers, which kind of merged, I think, into the Association of Photographers, uh, they uh, asked said to, their photographers, to their members, to boycott us for doing such a thing. The argument was, well, you couldn't do anything else for the rest of the day. Therefore, we, you had to pay and receive the full fee. Anyway, that soon blew over. And actually, looking back on it now, it seems such a small argument to have had. Because as we moved into the 1990s, there was a big financial issue globally, Interest rates rocketed in the UK, and the accountants moved into editorial photography and magazines. Suddenly, all of the rates dropped considerably. And the accountants didn't like the idea that we didn't know how much a shoot was going to cost. What is it about this expenses and film and processing? We need a set figure. So the idea of the flat fee was introduced, whereby we would say to the photographer, when I say we, I say people commissioning photography, art directors, editors and photo editors. By this stage, I was an art director. And we were asked to say, no, £200, that's your fee to cover your expenses and your fees and your assistant and whatever it may be. Gradually, as we went through the 90s, not only did the fees become more and more restrictive and reduced, so did the commissions, so did the sense of adventure. Now, I'm speaking on a very broad canvas here, and there were always people who would commission well and commission exciting work, but it was a slow creep of change. As we moved into the 2000s, up until 2005-2006, there wasn't a huge difference. Until, of course, digital photography came in. The moment digital photography came in, the client wanted digital. Why? Because they then didn't have to pay for the uh, film and processing. Instantly, digital became a cheap option for the publisher they could cut costs. And that has continued over the last 10, 15 years. As we stand now, not only has digital photography saved the money, but obviously the online presence of blogs and information and websites has massively uh, altered the amount of advertising revenue that magazines were receiving And also their sales figures, what are known as their ABCs in the UK. As the sales have dropped, so has the ad revenue, because the idea of the ad revenue was it was coming because that magazine was delivering a big audience. And therefore, as photographers, we were part of that brand. We were part of the identity of that magazine. Strong editors, strong art directors fought for good writing and good imagery. But that reduction in revenue has seen editors and art directors be dismissed. It's seen the salaries of the people who have come after them to replace them to drop considerably. What does this mean? Well, of course, what it means is that a lot of people who are getting these jobs now are less experienced than they used to be. They may not have worked their way up working with people from previous generations and understanding photography, understanding illustration and design, understanding writing. Because editorial photography is part of that showcase. The Great Magazine is a showcase for great work. Unfortunately, where we are today, with the majority of magazines on the mass market, are boxes being drawn on pages and images being dropped into those boxes. It's a question of getting the magazine out. It isn't a question of what can we achieve. The achievement is actually in getting the magazine out with very small teams, maybe one, two, three people. Whereas at one time, it might be eight people in an art department. Now, it's probably one or two at most. Photo editors rarely exist on magazines. The Saturday and Sunday supplements with the newspapers have had a similar issue. They're reducing their pages, their paper stock, and the quality of the work that they're commissioning. It doesn't sound good, does it? And now if we add COVID to that, what we're looking at is a year in which magazines where they're principally purchased at airports and at railway stations have not been purchased. That from a UK perspective, which relies very much on the supermarket and the high street store, WH Smiths, the high street has suffered dramatically. So we're looking at a constantly constricting market. Now I may hear you say, there are lots of great magazines out there, beautiful magazines, heavyweight magazines on thick paper, and they're £10, £11, £15, £20, these very glossy artefacts. And you would be right, and there is no doubt that these magazines exist within specialist markets. But their readerships are tiny, much, much smaller than you could ever imagine. You would be lucky to sell more than a few hundred uh, copies of each of these, maybe a thousand or so. In addition to that, many of these magazines do not pay the photographers for their work to appear. And some even ask for the photographers to pay for their work to appear. It's a situation which the photographers are being left out of the conversation Editorial photography was at one time the central showcase for work to be seen, a rich environment for creativity to flourish. Sadly, that is no longer the case. Now, why am I talking about it with such passion? Because so much of the work that we all look at and we all enjoy will have come from a commercial Perspective, it was commissioned. But not only that, it is that commissioned work which allows photographers and has allowed photographers to experiment and to work on personal projects for so many years. I've spoken out and tried to get the editorial magazine publishers and people interested and involved in that world to talk and listen and hear from photography, and photographers, and from those engaged with photography. I've got some sad news. They don't want to listen. This week, we welcome to the podcast answering the question, What does photography mean to you? Anna Caroline de Lima. And she's a Brazilian photographer, journalist and anthropologist whose work focuses on the documentation of cultural, social and environmental issues from an intimate perspective. Her work has been awarded both nationally and internationally and has been exhibited in more than 20 countries in places such as Numa and the Getty Museum. Anna is an Eddie Adams Workshop alumna and a member of Diversify Photo, Authority Collective, Women Photograph and Everyday Brazil. After years working in Andean countries, she founded Everyday Andes in 2019 to build a community of photographers working in the region and showing the Andes without stereotypes. Amongst clients as an anthropologist and photographer are the UNDP, Amazon Conservation, Action Aid, and Care International. Currently, Anna is based in Sao Paulo, and she's also an H E F A T trained for extreme conditions.
1: Photography is a very important part of my life that has been shaping me. And it's not like I love photography from a very young age. No, it's actually the opposite. Um, I have a degree in journalism, and when I was in my final year of university, I had this assignment where I had to write and take photos. So I borrowed a camera because I couldn't afford one, and I didn't know how to use it properly. But when I started, I was completely amazed by it. And... From that day on, every weekend I would borrow a camera and go to photo walks. Because back then, I didn't feel safe um, walking with a camera alone here in Sao Paulo. And lucky me, there were literally hundreds of people who didn't feel safe either. So, one day, uh, the whole group was taking photos of a very old building and I wasn't really into it, so I looked to the other side of the street and these elders were picking magazines from a garbage can. And that reminded me of my childhood because I come from a low-income family and my father used to work as a janitor in a condominium. And when I was 11, he brought me many English language books that he picked from recycling waste so I could learn to speak English, and that's how I learned. So when I saw those people picking magazines out of the trash, I had to go and talk to them. And they saw the camera, and one of them said, could you please take a portrait of me? Because it's been years that I do not see a photo of myself. Of course, I took it, and we talked for almost an hour. And this was 10 years ago. And I remember coming back home feeling different and thinking this is what I want to do, take photos of people. And I worked as a journalist for years, but it took me a while to work as a photographer. Because unfortunately, here in, in Brazil, the photo industry tries to neglect photographers who don't come from certain places of society, if you know what I mean. So, I literally was told that I didn't belong in documentary photography. That was something for the big ones to make, whatever that means. So, I got a postgrad degree in anthropology and things started to change. So, I went to China to work and I extended my stay in Southeast Asia for months, building a portfolio. Um, I came back. And started working in other Latin American countries such as Ecuador, Guyana, Peru. And eventually, after years, I got to work in my country. And this is what I do, especially in the Amazon, uh, focusing on cultural and environmental issues. So now the photography is a profession, I see that. From the very beginning, photography has been uh, leading me to people or entire communities who have been silenced or neglected for generations, and all of them are so wise and have a lot to say and to show, and my love of photography over the years is getting bigger and bigger because it became a passport to all of it, and it sort of... Give me a sense of responsibility to show that yes, we have been given different opportunities in life. We may come from different backgrounds and cultures, but we are alike in most things. So uh, what is essential for you is essential for everyone. You can see fights for power, fights for territory everywhere in different contexts. And so you have your loved ones and you love them the same way that I love mine. We are all humans. And it sounds so obvious, huh? But I guess if all of us had this in mind every day, the reality of humanity would be so different than what we are seeing now. And through photography, I get to meet people who make all these essential things visible to me into my lenses so I can show others and that's why um, photography is a very important part of my life and that's how photography has been shaping me.
0: Thank you, Anna, for your contribution this week. So interesting to hear about the importance that magazines had in the discovery of her journey with photography and also the importance of books had in her learning of the English language. I started off this podcast by kind of laying down the past and the present of editorial photography, but I promised the future. And I think the future is outside of the magazine format. I think everything that Anna was saying about what we do as photographers and why we do it will continue and great work will continue as will visual storytelling. The difference will be, I think, that we will not be relying on the motivations of the past. And but what I mean by motivation is that phone call, that commission, that magazine as showcase. What we're going to have to do is rely on ourselves. We're gonna have to be creative, open-minded, and think tangentially. We're going to have to look to the future and incorporate new platforms, new forms of communication in our visual storytelling. And I see that as the future for editorial photography. Will it be called editorial photography? I don't think it will. Will it be exciting? Will it challenge us without a doubt? But obviously the most important thing with all of this is that we just take care.